are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. Hi, everybody. David Guzik here. I hope you can hear me on the live chat because I am trying to figure this out on a little bit of a new system here. So um, for some reason, when I went to do my YouTube live video today, the uh, camera wasn't really working right on the computer that I usually do. So I'm doing it from a different setup right now, and I hope that it can be seen and heard. So I'm clicking around with a few things and um, trying to see if I can see the chat options here. Okay, good. Uh, I see that Isaac is already online. Isaac, uh, can you confirm? Okay, good. Ruth Gordon says very clear. I'm happy to hear that. Uh, is the sound coming through okay? Because I have no idea of what the sound is sounding like as it comes through right here. So if the sound is coming through pretty good, let me know on this. Okay, good, Ruth. Happy to hear that. Now, it's a little bit awkward for me because the chat window is set up separately here, and I can't see your questions or your comments for very long. So uh, I hope that I'm going to be able to respond to them in a good way. And uh, anyway, I'm just glad that you could join me today. Okay, let me tell you why I'm not at home and why I'm not on site doing the thing that I usually do. Here, I'm at a Bible college, and I'm teaching a week-long what we call a block class. So over four days, uh, three and a half hours a day doing the teaching, we're going verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah, giving it a good historical background, setting its uh, place with how it speaks of Jesus Christ. And uh, that's why I'm off-site today here at the uh, Calvary Chapel Bible College at Murrieta Hot Springs in California. Again, this is something I do not every semester that they have, but I certainly enjoy doing it whenever I do have the opportunity to come out here. So um, different little setup, but I'm glad to see this works on the fly. My usual pattern of doing it with my uh, computer and at home didn't work. Um, Ruth, I wish you were here as well. It would be a lot of fun to have you be a part of this. Uh, and it's an enjoyable class. I got to say for myself, I really enjoy working in the classroom setting. Uh, to me, that's something that's very enjoyable. I like the uh, interaction that I have with students, a give and take. Of course, I love regular preaching as well, but uh, this has been of a, just sort of a special benefit, a special comfort uh, for me to be able to do this. I enjoy it a lot, and I think the students get something out of it as well. Uh, okay, Alice is asking a question. How do we understand John 20, 30, uh, 20, 23, and how can I debate it with my Catholic parents and see it as a clear command for confession. All right, I'm going to look that up here in my Bible. John chapter 20, verse 23, and I think I know the passage that you're referring to, Alice. It's probably the passage there where Jesus refers to the idea of confessing the sins and granting forgiveness of sins. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 23, says... Hold on here. It says, it, this happened when Jesus breathed upon the disciples after his um, resurrection, and he 
demonstrably said to them, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Uh, Alice, I would say the main way I would speak about this in regards to Roman Catholic people, is I would say to my dear Roman Catholic uh, brethren and those maybe in the Roman Catholic Church who aren't brethren, but they are in the Roman Catholic Church, I would say simply this, is that yes, Jesus does give to the church the power to announce and proclaim the forgiveness of sins, but this was something that Jesus said to not just to Peter and not just to the disciples. I think it's very interesting if you take a look and see what Jesus said this, and if you compare it with the similar passage in Luke, I believe, you'll note that it was not only the 12 who were present at this. In other words, Jesus said this to more than the 12. And I think that's a very important point to make, that there is value in the confession of sin, there is value in dealing with sin among believers by confession and announcing the forgiveness that Jesus has to give, but it's not restricted to the apostles, nor is it restricted to the apostolic delegates, which would be, uh, in the Roman Catholic viewpoint, the Pope and the Pope's delegates there. So anyway, that's the idea uh, with that. That's the best way I would explain it, that yes, it's very much the idea, but uh, no, uh, it, it's not something that's confined to the Roman Catholic idea of the confessional, this and that. And I like what Ruth is adding right now from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It's wrong to see a priest or someone like that as a mediator between God and man. Now, I'm going to have to make a little bit of an apology right here because the chat comments that I see in the present window, and to be honest, I don't have time to um, uh, figure it out on the fly here. I'm not seeing your comments or your, your questions for very long. So I know that I missed one from a previous uh, uh, chat correspondence from a previous viewer. Um, it began, I'm a newbie, but I didn't get the question after that because I clicked on another question. So I'm just going to be able to take one question at a time. Uh, they're not preserved in my chat bar as is on my normal setup. So right now I'm going to deal with the question from Nikki Ray. She says this. Hi there, please, can you briefly talk about and explain the gift of knowledge, please? How do you think that it's coming? How do you know if it's coming from the Holy Spirit? Thank you. Well, Nikki, that's a great question. Uh, the Bible does talk about this idea of there being a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit called the gift of knowledge that we understand being a manifestation of the Spirit, as Paul talks about it there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and what you're talking about is how would a person know if something they would believe that would come to them as a gift of knowledge, how would they know that it's a spiritual gift and not just something that they would know, uh, you know, just from their own knowledge? Well, I think there's a couple ways. First of all, this can be a challenge because the gifts of the Spirit can operate in a very naturally supernatural way. In other words, sometimes we're not even consciously aware that we're operating in a gift of the Holy Spirit as we do it. So I think that's a very interesting uh, question to ask and a principle to bring up that sometimes we don't always know and sometimes we only know after the fact 
that actually what we thought was just maybe a more natural interaction or something from a natural knowledge, actually it was something that the Holy Spirit gave us as one of these manifestations of the Spirit. The other aspect to it would be something that perhaps you might know or say or relate to somebody else that you just couldn't have known otherwise. That may very well be an indication that it was something from the Holy Spirit and not just something that you thought of or that you brought up at the time. So I think those are ways to understand and know these things as well. So um, yeah, Nikki, I hope that this uh, helps your question with that. Uh, because again, I think a lot of times we expect the operation of the gifts of the Spirit as their details for us, especially in 1 Corinthians and Romans. I think there's times when we expect them to be more supernatural in appearance than they actually are. I think oftentimes God uses these gifts in a very naturally supernatural way. So I hope that um, answers your question there, Nikki, Ray, and uh, God bless you for asking it. So again, uh, I'm a little bit handcuffed. I really encourage you to come and to submit your questions here, like Isaac is doing right here, and Bianca, you just did as well. Um, so I hope that I can answer both of these questions. Isaac, first I'm going to deal with your question, then Bianca's question. And again, thank you for your patience. Uh, Isaac, your question, how do we distinguish between apostles with a capital A and apostles with a lowercase a? Uh, apostles in a uh, greater sense and apostles in a lesser sense. And Isaac, I think that's a great question because I think there is a lot of confusion about what constitutes the apostolic today and um, the idea of there being a army of apostles for the modern church that have the same or similar authority to the apostles that we find in the New Testament. Listen, that's a deception, that's an illusion. That's not a place for us to go together as believers and as a church. So I would stay away from that idea most definitely. Now, on the other hand, uh, the word apostle in its basic essence means an ambassador. And I think that there can be, in theory, special ambassadors to the church. Here's the thing. They do not have the same kind of authority over the church or in the church that the New Testament apostles did. Remember what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, that God laid a foundation by the apostles and prophets, and I believe it's pretty plain there, what he means is by the first century apostles and prophets, those who gave us God's word. God laid a foundation by those New Testament apostles and prophets, and that's a foundation that doesn't need to be laid again. There are no apostles in the church today that have the authority, that have the um, standing that the New Testament foundational apostles did. Now, if you want to make an argument that God has special ambassadors for the church today, all right, we can talk about that. But that would be very much apostles, what you might say, with a small letter A, not apostles with a larger letter A. So Isaac, I hope that answer helps you out. Uh, now, Bianca, thank you for repeating your question. I really, really appreciate it. Bianca's question is a newbie question, she says. Why do you think that God does not talk to us today the way he talked to Moses in the Bible? Thank you. Well, uh, Bianca, I think that's really interesting um, because I don't think that God speaks to us today in the same way that he spoke in biblical times in that we should never, ever expect God to speak to us in an audible voice. 
Um, I think that maybe sometimes people think that God has spoken to them in an audible voice, and I'm not going to put it outside the realm of possibility, but I'll just say this. We should never expect God to speak to us in an audible voice. The way God would speak to us today would be um, just by that inner speaking of the Spirit. But it's very important for us. And Bianca, I would really stress this. We need to understand that nobody, and I'm going to say that again, nobody has the gift today of perfectly hearing God. So if we believe God is speaking to us about something, we should be very humble about that statement. It makes me nervous when people very casually, very cavalierly say, well, you know, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that. I, I think it's oftentimes being much too confident in their ability to hear from God. Now, I do believe that God speaks to people today, and he doesn't do it through an audible voice. We shouldn't expect that. But, you know, what happens in a person when they hear uh, something in an audible voice? There's sound waves that go through the air. Those sound waves hit my ear. Uh, they make some kind of electrical or nervous system reaction, and that gets communicated to my brain. Well, basically, God can speak to somebody's brain in a way that doesn't even involve uh, the sound waves. It's just another mechanism that God may speak. But again, if you think God is speaking to you, you need to, first of all, you need to measure it, measure it and measure it carefully against God's word. That is his authoritative, perfectly speaking word. Secondly, um, if you're wondering about it being a word from God, then do what the Bible says to judge such words. And don't, you know, take it just because you feel it. There are too many people who kind of uh, have the idea that since uh, it's in their mind, it must be from God. But then the third thing, and this would be very important, be humble about your or anybody else's ability to hear from God. God speaks perfectly. God is the only one who can speak perfectly. But listen, uh, yeah, Lucia says here that I'd have a psychotic break if he spoke to me in an audible voice. Listen, don't forget that when God spoke to Israel at Mount Sinai in an audible voice, they didn't want to hear any more of it. It was too awesome of an experience. And so they passed it up. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. Uh, anyway, we need to be humble about our perceived ability to hear God's word and always measure everything against God's word. And don't, don't cavalierly say casually, oh, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that. Be very humble about your ability to hear from God. And let me tell you this, and I, this is what I tell people all the time. If you want to hear from God, open up your Bible and see what it says about Jesus and what Jesus says. That's, that's where God has promised to speak to you. I don't think that we should be seeking spontaneous words from God. If God brings something, which I think he has done in my life and in other lives on occasion, fine. But we shouldn't be seeking such spontaneous words of God. You want to hear from a word from God, open up your Bible and see what Jesus says to you in and through his word. That's where God has promised to speak to us. Okay, uh, next one. Jim has a question. He says, are oneness Pentecostals uh, also known as the Jesus only. Is this a sound doctrine to have among Christians? And Jim, the quick answer to that is no. They fundamentally misunderstand who Jesus is and the nature of the Trinity. The oneness Pentecostals, the Jesus only doctrine, what it fundamentally teaches is this. 
is that God exists in modes. Uh, the idea is that he was the father, and then he became the son, and now he's the Holy Spirit. But, but that God doesn't exist as three, concurrently as one. Uh, now, this idea is not biblical. And there's a lot of reasons why. These are things that the church has dealt with centuries ago. Uh, these things that come up and these errors that persist in the church. Again, the church discussed this in its councils and creeds a long, long time ago. And, and it also seems a little bit strange to go back and to, um, you know, rehash these things all over again. But look, um, one way we can understand this truth is that there are many instances in the scriptures where the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit are all presented concurrently at the same time, at the baptism of Jesus, uh, at the um, uh, transfiguration, uh, at other instances in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You find the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all working at the same time. In addition, we know that when Jesus prayed, when Jesus had the Holy Spirit come upon him and as he um, dealt with that, uh, Jim, uh, it would have been deceptive if Jesus was praying to a father who didn't exist. Uh, and again, so yes, this is not sound doctrine. Um, this is not a correct understanding of who Jesus is and what his work is. All right, now let me deal with a question from Joel. Um, Joel asks a question, when will the app be available? Uh, Enduring Word now has an app. It's something for your smartphone. Uh, I have an old school um, iPhone right here. It's currently available for the iPhone and in better uh, forms. Like just recently we made the improvement to where now it appears on your phone in landscape mode, not only in portrait mode. But uh, we're improving the app. And hopefully the Android app, my developers keep telling me a couple of weeks. So hopefully it's not that far off, but it's not ready yet. So just be patient, and I hope it can get to you sooner rather than later. Um, here I'm in a little coffee shop on the campus of a Bible college where I've been teaching a block class. Uh, the guy on our team who's kind of in charge of the developer, he's not the developer himself, but he's in charge of the developer, he may come and sit beside me right now. If he does come, I'm going to ask him point blank and try to get him to go on the record as to when the app will be available. Okay, next question is from Denise. Denise says this, Hi David, would you please give me your views on psychology? I feel quite suspicious of it as it seems to be a godless discipline. Am I being too harsh? Um, Denise, let me tell you, maybe you're being too harsh. And I'll tell you why maybe. There is a lot in modern humanistic regular psychology that does not agree with God and his word at all. There is a lot to take issue in uh, with, with psychology. And maybe there's a few things that they get right almost by accident, but, but really we shouldn't let psychological theory, we shouldn't let psychological um, research uh, be the foundation for our understanding who we are, and how human beings work. We should let the Bible be the predominant way we understand who we are and how human beings work. Because the Bible actually 
gives us a lot of information on that, and we need to let the Bible speak to that and not so much schools of psychology. Uh, the areas where they kind of accidentally get it right, uh, that's given to us in the Bible um, altogether. And that so much of psychology is just basically the attempt to solve or to help human problems uh, apart from God and apart from his word. Now, this is why I, I'm a little bit reserved, though, and why I say maybe you might be too harsh. One thing I find admirable about people who are interested in psychology, many of them are interested in psychology out of a genuine and good desire to help people. And, and, and I can applaud the motivation. I can apply sometimes the heart behind it. They genuinely want to help people, and they, they just need to be guided into a better way to help people. So. Uh, there may be insights uh, or helps from the world of psychology, but listen, the, the bottom line is this. We, we need to come back to a real confidence in God's word. Now, there is an aspect of psychology that touches more on human biology that we can gain more benefit from. And, and I'll tell you where, where I come to this. Uh, the whole field of post-traumatic stress syndrome, PTSD. This is something that a lot of research has been done on, um, but it's more studying it from the standpoint of the idea of uh, not so much the, um, what would you say? Not so much the uh, mental aspects of it. No, let me say this. Not so much the, of the, of the um, mind that can't be, but the biochemical things that happen within a person. And I think that that's a rich field of research and something that can be of great help to people to understand these things. But again, that's more in the area of diagnosis, and it has much to do more with the medical aspects of what we're talking about, not so much the psychological or mental aspects of what we're talking about. So Denise, I hope that's helpful to you. It's kind of a long answer to a question, but the focus really needs to be much more on God and what he says and not on human speculation about this. All at the time appreciating, I would say, people who do have a um, desire to help people through psychology. Okay, Lucia writes this. And again, uh, I have to say that there was a question that came by and I lost it. Um, I'm doing this particular question and answer thing not from my normal computer. I'm doing it from an iPad that I have. And uh, on my iPad, the questions, the chats just pop up for a moment. And I wish they would stay up longer because uh, I can't get to them so quickly. Uh, so if your question gets passed over, ask it again, and uh, I hope I can get to it. Uh, Lucia asks this question. She says, what about people who claim to have a gift of healing and openly claim to be healed of terminal cancer? I feel kind of guilty for my lack of faith, but listening to a pastor claim that on TV publicly. All right, well, Lucia, you know, this is something that's very interesting to consider biblically. Look, God heals people today. He does. We've seen God, we understand that God performs such healings among people. Um, uh, but this is what we also understand, is that there is no present promise that in this life, um, God will heal everybody. 
And the idea that everybody would be healed if they would just have faith, um, I think that's uh, not a biblical idea. Now, I will say this, that healing is ultimately promised to every believer, and we call that the resurrection. Uh, I think this is a very important thing for us to understand, that God does promise healing to each and every person in the resurrection. As far as healing goes in this life, we can't figure out. We can't figure out, Lucia, why God would heal one immediately and why God would withhold healing in this life from somebody else. We can't figure that out. And anybody who claims that they have it figured out, they're not telling the truth. But to act like we can um, know everything about this, that we can um, uh, do this in a sense that gives us a absolute understanding of who gets healed when, or that we know somebody absolutely will be healed if they have enough faith, that's not what the Bible says. And so it doesn't take away from the fact that there are gifts of healing that God gives, but it also makes us appreciate the fact that God is sovereign and he isn't under our command. God isn't like a vending machine where if you put enough faith coins into the vending machine, you get out of the vending machine whatever you please. That's not how God works with his kingdom or with his work. So I hope that's helpful for you, Lucia. Uh, here's a question from Lynn. Lynn describes how her husband left her nine months ago. Uh, I was counseled against divorcing because it's an evil act. And uh, it says how you're at a 